0: the athletic yeah hello everybody and welcome once again to the view from the lane i'm danny kelly now listen as we're recording uh, this morning's podcast news has just broken that acting head coach uh, christian stellini sorry time in charge of spurs could be coming to an end even while we're recording this charlie eccleshare has the latest
1: yeah, well, I've written a story uh, this morning reporting on the fact that Spurs are considering Stillini's position and they're having talks about that. So, you know, as extraordinary as that sounds, given he's only been in charge for four games, but it also feels pretty inevitable after yesterday's humiliation and yeah from conversations with other people there is a growing sense that he won't be in the dugout on Thursday but yeah as we record he is still the acting head coach of Tottenham Hotspur but yeah could all change in the next few hours and days ahead of that United game
0: We can all find fault it goes upwards to Daniel Levy of course it does as Jack's piece rightly points out it goes downwards to their own professional pride in the middle the Stellini stood staring in the rain at something that he clearly doesn't understand. Hello and welcome once again to The View from the Lane, the award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm your host, Danny Kelly, and alongside me today are The Athletic's James Moore and Jack pitt Brook. On today's show, we'll be discussing a shambolic 6-1 defeat for Spurs against so-called top four rivals Newcastle. And we'll be trying to at least point in a direction where Spurs might go from here in the immediate, short, medium, and long term. Good morning, uh, James, and good morning, Jack.
1: Good morning. Morning.
0: Do you like the slightly more sonorous tone I'm putting on rather than my normal normal bouncy hat on the side of the head uh, tone of voice uh, because of what happened? I mean, look, we'll talk about our responses to it because it turns out human beings, the Spurs fans on the podcast, had kind of differing responses to it, but it was a bizarre first 20 minutes in which Spurs conceded those five. And we asked Jack, who was at the game, to send us some immediate post-match, you no know, dust unsettled thoughts. And this is what he had to say.
2: That was the worst Tottenham performance I've ever seen in my about 12 years covering them and one of the worst Premier League performances I've ever seen.
0: Here's isa away from dial Newcastle, four! It's a
2: strange game because really all the action took place in the first 21 minutes, but that first 21 minutes, I've never seen anything like it. Tottenham looked, it was a complete non-performance from a non-team. The back four was a disaster. At least three, if not four of the back four can't play in a back four. They were too high up the pitch, there was no pressure on the ball in midfield. Newcastle looked like scoring every time they attacked and did score. Every time that they attacked. Here they come again, it's Esa. gets another! What on earth is happening here? How can you make some disbelief and delirium inside St. James's Park? 20 minutes played, Newcastle 5, Tom and Mill! It's the kind of performance that was so bad that makes that only happens if there's something deeply, deeply wrong at a football club. It's not something that can happen if you've got a functioning football club with team and coaches who are all pulling in the same direction. So, an awful day for Tottenham, one of the worst that I can remember and raises some very serious questions.
1: Al Miran straight into the thick of it,
2: it falls from Wilson. The two substitutes combined, seconds after their introduction, to hit a sixth for Newcastle United.
0: Yeah, I mean Jack's point there about there has to be something seriously wrong because let's be—I'm going to pluck a name out of midair—they've had a terrible season. Forest Green Rovers would not go there and concede five goals in the first 25 minutes. It just would not be acceptable for professional footballers to put on such a show. I'm very keen to get onto to James and myself's view on this, but I, I'll ask you, Jack, now because um, you had those things to say then. You've got—you've written a piece overnight for the Athletic. It's a long read about what's going on there and um, as reflected through the prism of that performance against Newcastle. I have to say, in some ways, Jack, it, it, it's a very easy piece to write because some of this stuff is very obvious. On the other hand, you put it together with tremendous eloquence, um, and I recommend it to anybody to read it because it's hard to disagree with any word. But listening to your voice there, and strangely, almost cracking with emotion, um, Jack, uh, a little bit, What's what's your – Reflection now, having had a chance to put your thoughts together for your piece and got, you know, driven, got yourself back down to London. I actually got the train. Oh, nice.
2: I got the, I got the train back. Just 400 uh, quid. Lovely. Seven o'clock. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's weird. Like Sometimes you'll go to a football game as a reporter or as a fan, and you'll have a gut reaction straight afterwards. And then you'll sleep on it. And you wake up the next day and you think, oh, it wasn't that bad or it wasn't that good. And you you get a bit of distance and a bit of context and you reconsider. But I, I haven't reconsidered. I, you know, I wouldn't resile from anything that I said last night at all. Like, I... It was the worst, that first, 20 just talking about the first 21 minutes here, it was the worst performance I've ever seen from any team at any level. Like, you're absolutely right about Forest Green Rovers. You can go a long, long way down the pyramid before you would find anything that bad. It was a complete, it was just, it was not a performance. It was not a football team in any real sense of the phrase at all. It was a bunch of guys who looked completely lost and wrote my piece they were kind of naked in front of the world they looked like they were having a sort of anxiety dream out there and um it was yeah i can't really think of any precedence the only thing that the only thing that pops into my mind danny is when brazil lost the world cup semi-final 7-1 to germany in 2014 because you're watching this and you think like these guys are absolutely frozen and the other team are just killing them every single time and i feel kind of I feel that by watching it, I'm kind of intruding on some private drama or some private disaster. And it feels kind of transgressive to be part of it because it's such it's such a total humiliating disaster in public.
0: You took the words right out of my mouth. But Jack, I mean, I'm not laying any secrets out here. You're not a Spurs fan. Think about what it was like for people who actually... I can barely uh, even imagine. The, 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 club, the club represents... Sp- uh, decades of my life those shirts represent something about me i'll get on to me Uh, james um what were your what was your reaction Uh, first of all were you watching it on on set on teletext or whatever it is you're doing these days in your fantastic boycott of the actual team
1: no no i watched the game i watched the game on sky and this is perfect timing because i've been timing this podcast and this could be undone by the editing process but it is now six minutes into the record exactly which i believe is the point that spurs went two nil down. So He's in the time good. we've been recording, Spurs would have conceded the first two goals. Yeah, I, I I watched at home on TV, and I mean I think that comparison with that Brazil game is a good one because it I had sort of similar feelings watching as I did as I did that World Cup game, and Jack that that rubbernecking thing is kind of interesting as well because it kind of felt like you were watching like a like a real sort of moment of personal trauma for for these players you know but it's like professional you know their professional integrity is being kind of torn to shreds there publicly but I, i have to say and this is probably almost the most damning thing i can say wasn't really that fussed. I wasn't really that moved by it. I I, I like it. Was it felt like sort of uncomfortable, but you couldn't turn away, uh, as Jack has kind of alluded to. But I wasn't like angry. I wasn't really that upset. It was just like, oh, there's another goal. There's another goal. You know, it's kind of like watching the highlights of a game, wasn't it? Because it was just goal, goal, goal. You know, at roughly the sort of rate you'd expect to get the goals to go in a match today. Uh, every element of it was bad, and you know, I I, I in the truest traditions of this podcast. We really should say, first of all, I predicted that that... I, I said an hour when the team came out an hour before the game and that formation was bad, I tweeted that it was a back two. Every single thing I've seen written about the change to the back four is bollocks and is wrong. Spurs did not play a back four in that game. They started with a back two. It's a back two. And you can get into how unsuited that is to Dyer and Romero and how it was actually a back one when Romero go off wondering he's he's, retired hasn't he essentially he's
0: he's reached the pinnacle of his career winning the World Cup he is now effectively retired hasn't
1: he as Jack wrote in his piece Poro and Perisic are wingers who have been converted to wing backs they are not full backs I don't know if Perisic has ever played at left back before he certainly didn't look like it on the basis of his performance and he the two of them would be way down my list in terms of players I'd criticise because they're playing out of position Lloris like like a shadow of a, a World Cup winning goalkeeper World Cup finalist only four months ago Uh, just, just so bad on, I mean, I've not seen an angle of that third goal goal. that really shows you, um, we're probably about eight minutes, 30 seconds. It's probably about 30 seconds away from that third goal. I've not seen an angle from behind the goal that really shows you how much it moved or didn't. But I mean, I'm amazed that that went in the the fifth goal. I mean, his footwork looked pretty terrible. Really didn't look good. Romero. Uh, just just brainless so many stupid things he did in that game and it wasn't even like herring off after the ball up to the halfway line It's the things he did on the edge of the box it was a like free kick he gave away stupidly on the edge of the box I mean so many things just so bad Hoiberg Hoiberg uh, uh, for some reason basically playing out on the left wing for most of that first half I mean that can't possibly have been the intention I have no idea why he was out there but he was out wide so much but sk- sk- Skip skip, skip, I thought you know it was game at, at least he got Not himself hard. booked at least he got himself booked Fine. Saar's a kid. Uh, You know, uh, that's a horrible experience for him, what's happened. He's kind of been pied a bit by that substitution as well. Uh, I wouldn't really want to blame him. Son, (sighs) I mean, it's part of the course now. He looked a bit better in the second half when there was a bit of space to run into. Kulazewski, passenger, nowhere. Kane barely got the ball in the first half of the game. Uh, He scored a very good goal in the second half. Who have I missed out? Is that everyone?
0: Um, Yes, it is. And I'll just add to that then, if I may. I guess you could say Kane was Spurs' best player because he didn't do anything wrong and he got a lovely goal. But after that, Spurs' next best player then was Davinson Sanchez. After all of the bullshit of the past 10 days, the player who came on, got stuck in, made a couple of half-decent passes, and one run past their last defender, if I remember rightly, was Davinson Sanchez. Now, you can take that as a damning indictment of the rest of the team or a little bit of redemption for him. Um, I don't mind. Jack. I, I, James, I, I watched it differently. I am normally pretty sanguine about the, the, the results because football is an, an up-and-down sport. Unless you support Manchester City currently, um, you're never going to get a straight line of achievement or you support a really bad team who are just awful week after week after week, a bit like Spurs. But this made me angry. I was livid not in that kind of you know i'm going to break the television sort of livid i was seething i was it's something inside me my soul was seething and and here's why because you know we understand it's been a difficult season members of the spurs staff have died Mem- senior members of the spurs staff have been ill and have been sacked the team has been dysfunctional all kinds of things have happened personal things have happened like the sanchez thing on and off to ridiculous effect by Stellini. The decision by Daniel Levy, which now looks to me, to keep Stellini on, to be one of those decisions that people will, will have in quiz games in the future. Name the most stupid decision ever made by a Premier League um, owner. And we all knew it was nonsense. You cannot have a continuum of something that was rotten. But all of that, I take all the background, I do. And I understand that the selection was mad. And I understand All of that, but the basics, some of the basics, the football basics, first of all. All right, you've never played fullback. It's the easiest position on the pitch to play, not in a five, but in a four, because you've got not one, but two lines dictating where your opponent can go. I know, I did it on Hackney Marshes Sunday after Sunday to brilliant effect back in the day. You have two lines to protect you, so you don't go wandering about. Stick close to your centre-half if your team's coming under pressure. That pressure is coming... Because, again, and babies, babies in their prams. Jack's baby is not, what is she, a couple of months old. Je- lovely lovely Rita knows that if you are playing high up on the halfway line, you must put pressure on the ball. Otherwise, some wanker will play an outside of the foot, right foot pass around your stupid high line. You've got to put pressure on the ball. But beyond all that, accepting all of that, there comes a point with professional footballers where there is pride in two things one in the shirt you're wearing you go out there and you do your damnedest and i would defy most of that team to tell me they were doing their damnedest and it, it even if you can't do it for your own personal pride and for the and for the shirt think about the people who are watching the blinking thing i mean who ultimately pay your wages And I, i'm not i'm i'm not for the idea that just because football's a load of money they're in inured to the slings and arrows uh, of normal everyday life. But it is it is galling to watch people who are earning thirty pounds to £200,000 a week not giving a flying fuck about their own profession, their own pride, and the people who support them through thick and thin in some cases. And I thought that they, they, they were, you know, Newcastle played okay, they didn't have to play well. They were disgrace, Spurs, and I'm re- I rarely say that because I try to be sanguine about these things. Because we all know they'll turn around, they'll beat Manchester United three 0 and we'll all be saying, oh, they're a lovely bunch of lads, aren't they?" Well, they're clearly not a lovely bunch of lads at least certainly not at the moment. And some you know you can, we can all find fault. It goes upwards to Daniel Levy, of course it does, as Jack's piece rightly points out. It goes downwards to their own professional pride, and in the middle, the Stellini stood staring in the rain um, at something that he clearly doesn't understand. He doesn't understand why they're playing. They said that in the press conference, but he clearly doesn't understand what it is to put out a team in the Premier League against a Newcastle side that, let's be fair, are pretty good.
1: I mean, I think well, I think we've seen that in the last two games. It's, it's, uh, that, that Stellini uh, has made like sort of questionable substitutions against Bournemouth and put all the attacking players on. And then kind of looked bewildered that you could get caught out on the counter attack at the end of the game. I mean, maybe that was the risk that they knew you were taking, but to me it seemed crazy. And then to start to start that system, I, and I'll repeat again: they 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 started that game with a back two, and that is not a joke. I'm not doing a bit. That is the formation they started with: two defenders and then and then wing backs. That it's just it's just inexcusable. And I mean the one thing it tells us is he he was not the tactics guy under Conte. He wasn't a tactical mastermind behind all Conte's previous success. I think we can probably safely say that now
2: like James, when I saw the team sheet, I mean my first reaction was, oh cool, Sar's playing and then I thought hold on a second that's not the team that I was expecting and then when you realized it is it's as James says it's two center backs, night you know dire isn't really trusted to play in a back four, hasn't been trusted by various managers to play in a back four. Romero, I know people say, yeah, he played in a back four for Argentina at the World Cup. The Premier League is different. I think in the Premier League, at the moment, he needs the extra protection. So you've got two non-fullbacks at fullback, and then you've got two centre-backs who can't really play as a pair of centre-backs. It was obviously going to be a disaster. And and to compound that, four players on the bench who have played
1: as a central defender in a back three, or one of the three defenders in a back three this season. Davis, Longley, Tanganga and then Sanchez, as we mentioned. Now, I, I can accept that uh, Davis has literally just come back from injury. Longley uh, had missed a previous game or gone off in the previous game. So, perhaps they're both uh, not fully fit. But between those four players...
0: They could have made sure four substitutions. Up- they could have all play really? 20 minutes, couldn't they? I mean Yeah, I mean... <sighs> I hear you. All right. Let's say you're absolutely right. But even, you know, great teams, I'm thinking about the Brazil team of the 90s. Great teams have played with two centre backs, but then you have to, your defensive midfielders have to get close to the people um, who might be going to cause damage when your full backs are, are further forward. I mean, I don't know. You can, you can invent, you have to invent tactical systems. If you've got players like Roberto Carlos and Capo, you had to make up a system that worked. But it was it's doable. But, you know, the midfield three, and I, I felt sorry for Saar. Less so for for Hoiberg, who you cannot go around acting the tough guy um, in the in the trailer of the film, and
1: then when the action starts, um, you're turning around and blaming other people. He was he was absolutely abysmal. Like I, 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 he just cannot possibly have been a tactical thing the way he was playing. He was all over the place, and, and and as you say, Danny, never anywhere near the ball, never anywhere near where he needed to be to kind of to stifle the danger. I just couldn't, you know, we've kind of swung both ways on Hoybeg on this podcast. Yes, before. we have. There was a lot of criticism of him at points last season. And I think we broadly defended him. And he did very well in his first season, the season before under Mourinho. But he is one of the, he is ostensibly one of the leaders of this totally, group. He's clearly one totally. of the more vocal players. And just it's just a complete shambles. Like when it turns, he feels like one of those players that when it turns and when it's going badly, he is going to really stick out as looking completely useless.
0: In the, in the and in the spirit of this podcast, where we always claim to be right about everything, if you remember what I said about Hoyberg, was that, that the team's performance he is always the barometer. I'm not going to blame him personally. He was only one of a number who were absolutely shambolic. Jack, one of the things in your piece, sorry, well, it popped into my head you said that there there was a row at half time i'm not seeing that reported widely would you know what do you know about that because obviously when leech doesn't turn out for the second half my eyes are
2: popping out of my head it's 4-0 by the way 4-0 thank you i just know that there were some lost tempers at half time even from players who you wouldn't normally you wouldn't normally ex- expect to do that. But, you know, by that point, the game was completely gone. I mean, on Hojbjerg, what, what I would say is that I know he's been he spent a lot of time out on the left, but I do think he did look like he was covering for Perisic. Because obviously, as you say, Perisic... Like, it didn't take that long for Perisic to start reverting to type and pushing quite far up uh, on the left. And so Hojbjerg was kind of dropping into that huge empty space between Dyer and Perisic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, overall, the failure of the midfield to put any pressure on the ball, either for the times where I think Cher was putting balls over the top for Newcastle to run onto, or Murphy's goal, like the lack of resistance to Murphy picking up the ball in the middle of the pitch and score it and having that shot from 30 yards was um, was amazing. And again, like as a lot of people say, well, Hoyt, like, it really kind of, I know he likes to go in for the sort of fist-clenching thing and trying to rally the fans after putting in a big tackle and all that Stephen stuff. Stefan Freund style, yeah. You, yeah if you're not actually going to make it difficult for the opposition if you're not really actually going to defend i mean the thing, the great myth about hoyberg is that he's a defensive midfielder he's not really a defensive midfielder at all he's some he's actually better he's better on getting the ball forward running forwards off the ball trying to create a bit of a disruption for the opposition that way with his engine he can't defend i don't think um and he couldn't defend yesterday and there was a moment where uh, I, I, I this would have been caught in the cameras or not towards the end of the first half, where I think it would have been maybe Willock or Jolinton ran past Kulusevski. And Hoyberg's response, and Newcastle forced a corner. And Hoyberg's response to this was basically just to stare out Kulusevski in an aggressive way for about a good sort of twenty seconds in a way to try and make Kulusevski feel uncomfortable. And look, I, I have, I've never been a professional footballer. I don't know how footballers, inter, you know, professional footballers interact with one another on the pitch. But it just struck me like he was, he was just trying to make Kulosevsky feel bad for for something which was obviously a very, very collective failure.
0: Yeah, um, sometimes, you know, Roy Keane's um, attitudes to football can sometimes be boiled down to this sentence, isn't it? I can see what you're doing physically, but are you affecting the game? And that was, you know, Hoiberg, if he doesn't affect the game, he's he's an absolute passenger, isn't he?
2: Keane's a good example because I reckon Hoiberg thinks he's Roy Keane. I think he thinks he thinks it's like no bullshit. I do my job. I tell it like it is. I, I I'm not afraid to put in the tackles. I'm not afraid to do the dirty work. Five nil. And all that, thank you. All that kind of thing. And yet, in in reality, you know, Keane was an amazing player, and Hoybjerg isn't. And um, I, yeah, I mean, look, it, it feels mean to to pin this on Hoiberg. I'm absolutely not pinning it on Hoiberg, but yeah, he he was really bad. And I also felt, I also felt really bad for Sar. Like Saar, you know, Saar. I think Saar is a fantastically talented player with the ball at his feet. I don't think he's especially. He's not especially good without the ball, and this was a game in which Tottenham, you know, never really had had the ball at all. He wasn't able to influence the game at whatsoever, and obviously he ended up being this week's full guy. But I'm sure there'll be another full guy on Thursday. This
1: isn't really a conversation for now, I don't think, but I, I, we've kind of touched on this before. But it's it is crazy how little of Sa we've seen since since Milan away. You think how well he acquitted himself in that game in really difficult circumstances. Now him playing alongside Skip when Skip had barely played for months. And they did really well against a team who are now in their semifinals of the Champions League. Uh, it's, just, it's just bewildering that he's played so little since then. And, you know, uh, obviously we're not blaming him for what happened. And I, I wouldn't even say he was one of the more culpable players, uh, even irrespective of kind of defending him because he's a kid. But that is going to be quite a damaging experience for him, I think to be on the pitch for those 22 minutes and for the team to concede five goals and then to be the one who gets hooked. And I'm not suggesting there's another solution for Stellini in those circumstances other than maybe taking off Kuliszewski to put on Sanchez, maybe. But you you do worry about how he's going to recover from that.
2: In terms of the substitution and bringing Sanchez on, like what's really damning and this shows that it's bigger than Stellini like clearly the back four was a disaster they should never have done it and he basically picked a team which is what a 14 year old Tottenham fan would pick you know it was, if you're a teenager playing as Tottenham on FIFA you'd probably go 442 with two attacking wing backs um so th- that was that was a total shambles but the fact the sad fact is these Tottenham players don't know how to play in any other system or tactics than the, the Conte system. You can call it a comfort blanket, you call it a straitjacket, but the only way the Tottenham players know is this defensive 3-4-3. You know, Stellini tried to take them out of their comfort zone yesterday, and clearly the players the, the players didn't know how to execute that. And kind of understandably, the last time Tottenham played a battle four was January 2022 it's been 455 days and 63 games between the 2-0 defeat at Chelsea January 2022 when Spurs played a bat four and then yesterday when they played a bat four and clearly in that time the, the players have lost the capacity to think for themselves they've lost the capacity to, to play on the front foot they've lost the capacity to play in a in a in a in a, a back four like the, this has been they are so damaged i think this Tottenham group that um even trying to come even trying to do even trying to bring them out of their comfort zone yesterday blew up in Lindy's face.
0: I mean, I'm interested. that You use the phrase "comfort zone" because they're clearly uncomfortable. I don't think they've had it. They're in a discomfort zone, and they just went from one, you know, fry one um, footballing frying pan into another footballing file. Thank you for letting me use all that alliteration. I enjoyed it hugely. Uh, you know, can I? Since the players have we given them plenty now, and unless we want the podcast to last for for the three hours, let me just check. Nobody wants that, yeah. Stellini, the, and this is where Levy has to, you know, look, Jack, your piece uh, in The Athletic says that this is the culmination of four years of average to terrible decision-making, and nobody could disagree with that, and nobody does disagree with that. But I think the the piece of gold dust on top of the cherry – on top of the cake of terrible decision making was to keep Stellini on in the first place. I don't want to harp on about it. Let me just check. Yes, I do want to harp on about it. Um, and the poor bloke. He. I mean, let's be fair. He was never. He, he was uh, never Anton Deck in terms of uh, giving it plenty on the sideline. He just looks wrecked to me. There's no point in sacking him. But I. But I'm amazed that he hasn't been told. Come on, Will. We could do better without a coach here. It's a terrible idea, wasn't it?
2: It was a terrible idea. It was always it it was a it was obviously a disaster from that Sunday night when they did it however many weeks ago. The Conte era ended very, very badly. It wasn't it wasn't I mean we've we said this a billion times. It wasn't just that he said those things at Southampton. It's that the team had been playing rubbish all season. The team had been completely drained of confidence. They hadn't played well once all year. The only time they did play well, as it happens, Conte wasn't there. And yet they decide they decide that the solution to this is to keep every everyone apart from Conte and his brother. It's great. It's quite Like in, you know, it's just, it's just in football's the same as in politics. Like you can either be you can either be the continuity guy or the change guy. Like you either have to say what was hap- what came before was great. Let's keep it going, or you say what happened before was bad let's change it there's not really a middle ground you can't have a foot in both camps it was logical madness it was to- total muddle thinking to think that he might work it's also worth
1: saying they didn't rush or panic into that decision they took weeks was 10 days yeah. uh, and you know t- 10 days from Conte's rant to make that decision but also as Jack says however many months from the start of the season when it started to become obvious that Things weren't working anywhere near as well as I had done the previous season, and certainly, as we've said many times, since the World Cup Christmas, when it was obviously wasn't going to sign any contracts, things were always going to run, always going to unravel after that. It was just obvious. It's so
2: obvious. And Stellini, I want to say on Stellini, he, I, I do feel. I feel bad for him because it's a complete bust. Like it's, you know, they've played four games under him. They've been terrible in all four games. They got the only reason they beat Brighton is a series of strange offici- officiating decisions. Brighton are clearly miles better than Spurs. What I I'm not with I don't spend a lot of time with him. I only see him in press conferences before the game and usually after the game if they've lost. So I, I've got a limited amount of evidence here. But my impression is is that he's out of his depth and he's hating yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. I think I mean and admittedly that's own you know nobody looks chipper in a post match press conference after a defeat but I really don't think he's enjoying it. I don't think he is. I I think it's a it's a disaster and I think Tottenham you know he he is he is as much under the bus as anyone else frankly even though some of his a lot of his decisions have been very bad.
0: I would love to have heard the conversations between Antonio Conte Christian Stellini Daniel Levy maybe even Fabio Paratici what how did they what what processes of thought emotion logic di- dictated that they ended up with Stellini as the manager and why did he think he wanted to do it apparently his best mate tells him these players are shocking and are going to get us all our, our reputation ruined he said it in the press conference after Southampton why would Christian Stellini say? That? You know what? I think they're a good bunch of lads. I'll have a go here.
1: Well, I think I think we talked about this last week. Uh, he, he isn't. He was not a, on fifteen million pounds a year like Conte. Uh, he's a bloke with a job. I, I don't know. Maybe he's got a mortgage somewhere. Even if it's not in North London, sure he's got bills to pay. He he probably wasn't in as comfortable a position to walk away from that job as as Conte would have been. Uh, uh, you know, uh, you, you've got an opportunity to continue to work with those kind of players? Uh, I don't know. It's difficult. I, 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 I'd be lo- I would be loath to blame him. Uh,
0: Conte, uh, will, uh, Conte would have said, look, don't worry about it, Christian. Um, at some stage, he knows that he will join up whether Conte, if Mourinho totals off to, to PSG, as some people think he might, and then he'll get the Roma job. The, whoever loses the semi-final, the All-Milan semi-final of the Champions League is liable to lose their job. Um, there's, there's, there's jobs out there and I'm sure he would have, would have got them. All I know is, yes... Correct. Out of his out of his depth, and clearly, and uh, this is only a human reaction. Clearly, hating that he is now the public face of a shambles. So, just to finish this um this part, of it, because we need to get on to uh, where, what they need to do next. As a matter of interest, am I overreacting by saying I'm amazed that they haven't announced some other interim manager? I mean, I don't. I mean, someone someone just spent five minutes looking up what his actual title is, Christian Stellini he's acting acting head coach okay so it's not quite as complicated not interim actually. he's acting head coach and of course he is acting like a head coach at times um is there any point in changing it now help me with this
2: yes there is yeah if they if they keep stellini i think that they the number of points that they will get in the rest of the season you can count on one hand uh if they change the manager i think that The they are likelier to get more points. I'm not saying they're going to come fourth or even fifth or sixth, but I do think they've got a better chance with a different guy.
0: Listen, we could go on about this all time, all until the end of time. The truth of the matter is, of course, that the past is completely out of our control. Even that game is what it is now. Um, And I'm sorry if you're if you're all still seething about it, but that's the truth. The only thing we can affect, the only thing Daniel Levy can affect, is the future. Yeah, welcome back to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. James Moore and Jack Pitbrook from The Athletic are here with me as well. As we continue, I think we're going to stop sifting through the still burning embers of Tottenham's team and performance. Um, although those of you who are paid to go and watch it up there, I'm sorry if uh, you know I have to move on from what you actually witnessed with your own eyes and probably need therapy for now um, to what we're going to do in the future. A couple of things, though one of which may be a bit more uplifting than what we've been discussing. First of all, somebody, um, it was James, uh, you pointed out um, that Dennis Cherkin, um, who was a, a, a you know academy left back at Spurs, um, had had a very good game for Sunderland, who are in danger of coming back to the Premier League with Dennis at left back. So he, you can add him to another huge list of the options we've had at that left side defender all season without ever getting
1: any stability there at all. And you can read your tweet out, can you? I, I'll read the message out. Dennis Serkin has scored two very good goals for Sunderland today, which will be worth mentioning when we analyse Perisic chuntering around like an old dishwasher. There's the phrase I was looking for. That message for. was sent at 1.51pm, nine minutes before kickoff. Ah, uh, omniscient,
0: omniscient sage uh, among us in the form of James Moore. Listen, I, if we go through the entire podcast just reflecting on adding to and amplifying doom and gloom, uh, I think people become very bored. I want to read you something amazing that was sent to our email service, um, VFTL at theathletic.com. VFTL at theathletic.com. And this was sent to us by Danny Lim. Listen to this. Hi, Danny et al. I know we've been all, all been uh, having a miserable season at Tottenham as Tottenham fans. But I just wanted to share a personal story that may help put things into perspective a bit. And what better platform do I share this on an award-winning podcast? Thank you very much indeed, Danny. My nine-year-old son Holden and I recently made the pilgrimage to London all the way from Los Angeles to watch the Brighton match. Though we had high hopes for our very first Tottenham match ever, uh, little did I know what we're in store for. As Korean-Americans, we are, of course, Son fans, and Sonny had the marked distinction of being Holden's first and, I suspect, final football hero of all time. Needless to say, when he hit that beautiful curler for his historic 100th Premier League goal, we were both going mad with pure, unadulterated joy. To see a multitude of non-Asian fans, young and old, wearing Son's jersey, to see my son represented on the field by a Korean athlete scoring historic goal as 60,000-plus fans cheered for him, to have club legend Kane score a late winning goal on top of it, to, to share that moment as father and son in our very first Tottenham match, dot, dot, dot. I firmly believe the football gods took away the Brighton goals that day so that my son and I could have this experience. And though I'm not entirely sure my son understood the full magnitude of the significance of the moment, he was in tears when the ball rippled the net. And so was I. All that to say, I think we sometimes forget the simple reasons why we enjoy the game so much. And even though I have been incredibly frustrated with the club this season, all it took was a nine-year-old boy's tears to make me realise how grateful I am for this game and the magical moments that it gives us and this magnificent club. Danny Lim and uh, and Holden, um, thank you for being in touch. And, you know, occasionally those of us who spend our lives professionally and personally pressed up against the glass of the shop called Football – I think can lose sight of the fact that it can be that fantastic. The truth of the matter is, um, and thank you for the, for the email. It's absolutely beautiful. The truth of the matter, of course, it, it is that if you don't have enough of those magical moments, people get rather w- wear, worn and weary. Um, and Spurs in the last few years have provided a, a diminishing amount of those moments to make the – because, you know, I'm stuck with it. I am, as I said the other day, a hostage to Tottenham Hotspur – how does this how does this mess mess get fixed, Jack? Um, I think you started to scratch at that in your in your piece again. Because all right, let's be honest here. This is the, the, the running order. Stellini has been exposed as somebody's out of his depth. The players have been exposed as they won't even play for their own personal pride under the current circumstances. We as supporters are exposed as mugs for pouring our hopes, aspirations, blood, sweat, toil, and money into those groups the other person is completely exposed now as Daniel levy because much as I have tried to have a an even-handed view of him and, and often been called a fraud myself and in the pay of the great man um and all that sort of uh, bull he is completely exposed now he has made these decisions that you have put together one after another in a chain of causations they say in law to where we are today and now he's got a to-do list that includes The centre forward, the manager, a director of football. Um, How does he even go about this? Where does
2: Spurs start? I think it has to start with a plan. It has to start with what are we actually trying to do? What are we trying to be? Where do we want to go? Unless you have a plan, you don't know what to do. Otherwise, like if they don't I'm sure they could carry on without a strategy. You know, they haven't they have not had a strategy for the last four or five years. The only strategy has been, wouldn't it be cool to have a famous manager? Wouldn't it be great if we could get someone really, really famous who's got a massive, a huge honours section of his Wikipedia page? Get him to well, manage But this is Tottenham. again
0: teenage teenage FIFA, isn't it? Yeah.
2: And that and that and that's basically been that has basically been their strategy over the last four years. So they, you know, they could continue to do that. They could go and get the manager with the best Wikipedia page, uh, which I think would probably at this point be Luis Enrique, who does have a fantastic Wikipedia page because he won the treble with Barcelona. Um, they could go and get another managing director of football who's worked at a big club, and again they could hope that some of his kind of, you know, big club na- know-how would rub off on Tottenham by osmosis, which was the hope with Piratachi, and they, you know, th- they could r- just repeat the last four years on a loop if they wanted to but I think there's no reason to believe that it will get any better results if they continue to do that. At the same time, I don't really think, I don't have any confidence that Daniel Levy will hatch some kind of great holistic football strategy tomorrow and then unveil it on Wednesday and then they'll get a good managing director of football if they think they need one. I'm not convinced they do. Um and then go and get a great head coach to fit and then everything will be fine. Like I think I don't think that Tottenham deserve the benefit of the doubt. I should on this make the
0: point that uh, again at uh, VFTL at theathletic.com It was Mike Bradford who put those ideas in my head. He said, here's the to-do list. One, re-sign or sell and replace the irreplaceable Kane. Two, sell or replace the club captain Laurice. Three, offload a load of unwanted players, including those returning from loans. I think there are 11, aren't there? Um, four, buy new players that genuinely improve the first team. Five, find us a new manager and staff. Six, find us a new director of football. Not necessarily in that order, says Mike. Thank you for that, uh, Mike. The current unrest among the Spurs fans, which I think may very well be manifested very loudly and very very vividly at the Spurs stadium when they play Manchester United, will that be made worse, the mood, if if, if uh, Maurizio Pochettino is pointed as seems now very likely Chelsea manager?
1: Yeah, I would say definitely. And when we've heard how much Pochettino's name has been sung at the last two home games and at Everton as well, I didn't really hear it yesterday, Jack. I was there much of that from the away end up in the gods? I
2: didn't hear Pochettino's name. I heard quite a lot of Levy out. But I did. I mean, look, the the Spurs away end is a long way. It's very, very high up, and obviously, you know, you you did hear a lot of the Spurs away end in the second half, but the first half it, it was difficult to hear them. There was a lot of Levy out, but I I didn't hear any Pochettino. But that's not to say with certainty that it didn't happen. Also, people don't, people don't want to be made mugs of. That you know, the papers are saying
0: the papers are saying you know he's going to Chelsea. You don't want to be crying. Um, uh, you know, it's a bit like you know it should have been me at the altar, isn't it? You know.
1: But all of those people that were singing Pochettino's name at the, the Brighton game when Stellini was embarrassing himself getting sent off, um, or not really, but you know, and the Bournemouth game when it was all going wrong, presumably are not going to be happy that Levy seemingly sat on his hands and waited for a rival club to, at, at best from Spurs' perspective, put themselves in a better position to hire Pochettino imminently. So yeah, that doesn't that doesn't look great, and that isn't going to feel great if that's what you want to happen. So yeah, I, I don't think it's going to take much on Thursday night for it to really, really turn sour. I, I think because it's a bit, you know, it's a home game against Manchester United under the lights. I think there will be a, a certain degree of encouragement from from the crowd. I don't think it will be completely toxic and so and there should from be, the start. but so I think, but I think be. it will turn incredibly, incredibly quickly. Uh, I, ho- I hope, I hope. That if that is what happens, that manifests itself in things aimed at Daniel Levy in the board rather than any individual player or the players collectively. I mean, they let themselves down massively. None of them were better than three out of ten, four out of ten. I know you mentioned Sanchez, and it was one-one for the part of the game he was on the pitch. Fine. Yeah, I, I, I I'm not. I mean, I'm not. Look, I'm look. Being a true, fella, we're going over old ground there again. I, I, I put my ticket for the game on the. Um, on the on the resale portal the official resale portal hoping to claw back another 65 pounds off my season ticket next season we'll see what happens if we do get this corner flag announcement tweet this morning i don't know if i can recall my ticket if, if it's going to be someone different in charge and it's going to feel like a more enjoyable experience but at the moment it feels like you know whoever whoever is in charge and we'll assume it's not going to be a proper manager it's going to be a caretaker at best um I'm so sick of it at the moment. There's just no, there's, just nothing in it for me. Like I feel so distant from it. Um, and like I said, you know, at the top of the podcast, those five goals were going in in the first half yesterday, and I wasn't that fussed. Really, it was bad. I was, you know, it's a shame. I didn't like it, but I wasn't angry. I wasn't massively upset. I'm sort of numb to it, and it's not. That's not a numbness born out of Spurs losing six nil to Man City in 2013 or five nil, a five one at Newcastle in 20. 20- 16 or whatever, you know, it's born out of what's happened in the last three years, especially the last three months.
0: I mean, and of course, Spurs fans have now arrived at a point that, I mean, fans of other clubs who've been in similar situations um, will recognise this, where the club is essentially gaslighting you um, because you want to complain about the club, but in doing so, you appear not to be supporting the team and it's a very, very difficult thing and I hope the Spurs fans, because, you know, without, the unity of the fans, it's just going to get worse. I hope they get behind the team against Manchester United, but find a way to express their displeasure about the way the club is being run. I know that's the most difficult thing on earth to do. I know there are several organised groups trying to do it, but I think getting after the team um, specifically, in the end, is, as we talked about when Davison Sanchez got hooked, is probably not going to do it. I mean, I, I, I was furious with them, um, and I would have told them to their faces if I could, and I hope some of them are listening to this podcast. I mean, enough people are listening; it's almost in, statistically it's impossible that some of the Spurs team aren't listening to my voice. But they, but this is what this is the bind that all football fans get into. Um, you know, you you want to support the shirt, but in doing so, you appear to be supporting the regime, and it's very very difficult. As I say, it's a form of voluntary gaslighting. All right, Jack. Jack you know. All of this is happening against a background of a yet another protracted manager search. And, you know, if not Pochettino, then who? Because I don't get any impression that they're any closer to deciding who they want. And I know it's all been done in great secrecy now, and I get that. That's just could be an excuse for they haven't got a clue. Uh, because we're never told anything. And the point I wanted to make is that, We all know, we've discussed directors of football, playing systems, individual responsibility for the players, the disaster of Levy's decision-making over the past three or four years. And yet the truth is, of course, we all know that with a manager who people buy into, so much of this is around turnable, if that's even an English word. No group of players is uncoachable. I don't buy that. And look, the evidence is there. There are loads of uh, counter-arguments. Look at Aston Villa, who were having exactly these discussions early in the season when they couldn't get the ball forward in any meaningful way, when they were drifting into a relegation battle. In fact, they were in the relegation battle. And now it looks likely they'll finish above Spurs because the manager has come in who knows what he's doing in the Premier League, who knows how to deal with players. The players are bought into it. And amazingly, a load of professional footballers turns out can play professional football after all. None of this
1: is happening. Well, 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 again, sorry, sorry to do this again. You don't have to go you don't have to go back that far or, or travel that far away from our immediate field of reference. You saw it in that game yesterday. Joe Linton, Sean Longstaff, uh Jacob Murphy. I mean look, uh, twelve eighteen months ago, what would you have said about any of those players? Almiron. And they've just yeah. all played key <laughs> Almeron as well. They've all played key roles in that massive win for Newcastle and they're gonna be in the Champions League next season because they've been well coached and they've played an assistant that suits the players it's as simple as that And that's not that's not to say Spurs could bring in Eddie Howe next season not sign anyone and finish third that's not what I'm saying but you, you're going to increase your chances of playing good football and getting good results
2: with the right kind of coaching and the right kind of tactics Spurs' problems are bigger than the manager but there is no way out of this mess without a good manager you just like that a good like a, a good managerial appointment is necessary but not sufficient to spurs heading back in the right direction because if you get a good even if even if you don't sort out the recruitment yet and even if you don't you know they don't find a new managing director of football or whatever all that kind of stuff you you're not going to go anywhere unless you have a manager who can command the support of a the players and b the fans
0: it was a terrible weekend um, until they appoint a manager as you rightly say who can unite fans, players and harness the energy of football clubs because that's what's happening at Aston Villa and Newcastle the energy of a large group of people both in the stadium and in the you know the, the hinterland beyond is being harnessed to overcome all the difficulties of winning Premier League football matches of course it's difficult everyone's trying to beat you I get that and most teams are equipped with lots of really good footballers. Um, but without their energy, there's nothing. And as we saw at Newcastle this weekend at the moment, Spurs are, have exactly that. Nothing. Over to you, Daniel.
2: The Athletic.